I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. Hello, I am your host, Kurt Sandvig, and welcome to another edition of Paranormal Almanac. I thought, instead of telling a cryptid story this week, I would instead tell a few tales of people that have died and come back to tell us what happened. Stories of people coming back from the dead, telling tales of seeing loved ones and long-gone pets, as well as bright lights and tunnels and starry skies that you're sucked into, have been around as far back as I can find. There are stories in the Bible that have been translated by some that seem to talk about coming back from the dead. And no, I don't mean Jesus coming back from the dead. These experiences are commonly referred to as NDEs, near-death experiences, and have been recorded since ancient times. In the 19th century, a few studies were done on the subject, one privately done by the Mormons and one in Switzerland. Both showed that something happens after death. The same tunnels and loved ones were reported in all of these studies. In fact, in 2005, 95% of world cultures are known to have made some mention of NDEs. A number of more contemporary sources report incidents of near-death experiences of 17% amongst critically ill patients, that 17% of all critically ill patients have had near-death experiences when their heart has stopped and all body functions have ceased. 10 to 20% of people who have come close to death or died and come back to have experienced an NDE. So that's 20% of everyone who have died and come back have had an experience after death. The stories are the same no matter where you are in the world or how old you are when you die and come back. There have been stories, children as young as two years old, that have come back and told stories of visions and lights and people that they couldn't explain. Science has tried to explain it with it's just your brain firing randomly in the final moments of your death, or what they call the DMT dump. DMT is one of the most potent psychedelics known to man. It is intensely powerful. Yet every day, your pineal gland in your brain produces it. DMT is what causes you to dream. And the pineal is also more widely known as the inner eye, the all-seeing eye, or is considered by some as the body's gateway to the soul. Whatever the function of the pineal gland and the DMT that it dumps, that doesn't explain everything that happens in nearly every NDE. Now, Egypt had its Eye of Horus, now emblazoned on the back of the U.S. $1 bill. Even the ancient art of yoga recognizes the brow chakra, or ajna, as blossoming at the pineal, or third eye. So the study of the pineal and the DMT it produces have been around for quite a while around the globe. Many scientists theorize that the pineal gland produces and releases massive doses of DMT in the moments just before death. The DMT dump I mentioned earlier, and I could see why such a massive release of a psychedelic could be an explanation of the bright lights of the tunnels, but what about other aspects of nearly every NDE? It's not just that. Independent studies from people that have no connection to each other all speak of the exact same experiences. It's not like the second we go to sleep, our pineal dumps some DMT and we have the exact same dreams. As far as I know, everyone dreams differently. So does that actually explain some of the following stories? I'll let you be the judge. The first story comes from Anita Murjani. She's a public speaker who was diagnosed with lymphoma in 2002. Sadly, she was losing her battle with cancer. She had tumors everywhere and was rapidly losing weight. She then slipped into a coma in 2006. She was pronounced brain dead, and her body started to fail. She says, I felt as though I was above my body. 
It was like I had a 360-degree peripheral vision of the whole area around, but not just in the room where my body was, but beyond the room. According to Morjani, the author of her book, Dying to Be Me, she was reunited in that state with her late father, who told her to turn back. He said that I've gone as far as I can, and if I go any further, I won't be able to turn back. She also said, but I felt like I didn't want to turn back because it was so beautiful. It was just incredible. Because for the first time, all the pain had gone. All the discomfort had gone. All the fear was gone. I just felt incredible. And I felt as though I was enveloped in this feeling of just love. Unconditional love. Citing an incredible clarity where everything just started to make sense, she said she decided to return to her body because she believed it would heal very, very quickly. And it did. Within four days, she says, my, my tumor shrunk by 70%, and the doctors were shocked. And I kept telling everyone that I know I'm going to be okay. I know it's not my time to die. Thankfully, she's still around and telling the world about her experiences. So how could a DMT dump account for her miraculous recoveries? Again, it's just a potent psychedelic. There's no way that the pineal gland healed her body. So what did? Another tale is from a man who died on the operating table while the doctors hurriedly worked to revive him. The man rose above his body and again had a 365-degree view of his body and the operation below. The man heard specific phrases from the doctor with medicine ordered to inject into him to get his heart started again, as well as the nurses saying a prayer and another nurse using the anesthetician's first name. He was clinically dead for eight minutes. The staff managed to get his heart started again, and upon waking, the man relayed his tale to his family and the nursing staff. The nursing staff were shocked to find that his account was 100% accurate. The names of the staff and the medicines he heard were correct, and the hospital staff were shocked. Now, science may have a better time explaining this one because a recent study shows that even though the brain shows zero activity on an EEG, the brain is still functioning, and also, interestingly, hearing are supposedly one of the last senses to shut down. So hearing things after you've been labeled as, quote, dead might just be possible. Still, though, his tale of not only hearing but seeing everything that was happening to his body is pretty incredible. Now, the one factor beyond seeing everything from above your body and hearing things, seeing dead relatives and pets, and the bright white light that is common across the world in most MDEs, is that beyond that white light or the tunnel, the people that have died started moving rapidly and the one light becomes multiple and then becomes an entire galaxy with nebulas and pulsing stars of all colors. Again, this has been reported from around the world of all ages of people that have had NDEs. And I don't see how a DMT dump could make people from around the world all have the same vision. But let's get back to more tales. Not all life and death stories are the same, though. There are numerous tales of people waking from the dead in the morgue or even in a coffin. Sadly, this is one of those tales, and let me warn you now that the following quick story doesn't have a happy ending. Kelvin Santos was age two when he died, or so his parents were told, while he was being treated for pneumonia. The child's devastated family held awake through the night. Then an hour before the funeral was to begin, Kelvin sat up in his open coffin and said, Daddy, can I have some water? People started screaming. We thought a miracle had taken place and our boy had come back to life, the boy's father, Antonio Santos, had said. Then Calvin just laid back down the way he was. We couldn't wake him. He was dead again. I was able to find a news article that corroborates this story. 
The family filed a medical malpractice complaint, and at the time the article was written, police were still investigating, but again, sadly, Kelvin never woke back up. On a happier note, some people that come back, come back with a gift. I'm not talking about the knowledge of heaven or what happened to their bodies while they were gone. I'm talking about special abilities. This story is about a man named Danyan. He was on the telephone when lightning struck the wires, sending at least 180,000 volts of electricity through his body. Not surprisingly, especially to this edition of Paranormal Almanac, Danyan returned to life nearly 28 minutes after he had been declared dead. During his NDE, he was shown 117 visions of the future, including the election of Ronald Reagan, the collapse of the Soviet Union, and the Gulf War in 1991. Dr. Raymond Moody verified that Danyan did indeed predict events before they happened. In an attempt to verify Danyan's psychic abilities, the popular TV show Unsolved Mysteries asked renowned parapsychologist Dr. William Roll to conduct a series of tests. Danyan gave readings for eight people he had never met before. And according to Dr. Roll, Danyan picked out several details about the lives of the individuals that he could not have known. Dr. Roll described Danyan as one of the more remarkable psychics he had ever worked with. Danyan was also asked to consult on a brutal murder case. On October 12, 1993, in Big Fork, Montana, John and Nancy Bosco had been shot to death, execution style, as they slept. The police investigation turned up absolutely zero leads. Two months later, John's mother, Tony, met with Danyan, and Danyan described the killer as a slight-built young man with black hair who knew John and the layout of the house. Danyan said that the man was in a college somewhere in the West, but predicted that he would be arrested in the very early part of December. Incredibly, Danyan was correct on all counts. 18-year-old Joseph Shadow Clark was arrested in December and later convicted. And just as Danyan predicted, Clark had lived in the murder house, had known the Boscos, and was attending college in the West. Danyan had solved the case with the psychic ability he received after his NDE. In fact, other NDEers have attracted the attention of top secret U.S. government officials. Now, I know this sounds like tinfoil hat-wearing stuff, but this is all real and all documented. The CIA and the U.S. Army thought enough of remote viewing to spend millions of dollars on the program Stargate. This program hired many people with NDEs that had since displayed psychic abilities. CIA spokesman Mark Mansfield said, The CIA is reviewing available programs regarding parapsychological phenomena, mostly remote viewing, to determine their usefulness to the intelligence community. He also notes that the Stargate program was found to be unpromising in the 1970s and was turned over to the Department of Defense. At one time, as many as 16 psychics worked for the government, and the Defense Intelligence Agency made them available to other organizations. One of the psychics, David Morehouse, was recruited when he took a bullet in the head in Jordan, and after his NDE, he started having visions and vivid nightmares. He went on to become one of the most leading psychic investigators of all time. So the government thought enough of the NDEs and their psychic abilities to use them for years and the rumors are, they're still being used to this day. Remote psychic viewing has supposedly helped our government against foreign nations and even assassinations. But getting back to NDEs, some people don't come back to their own bodies. Now, this sure, this isn't exactly life after death like the above stories, but it is a form of life after death. There are thousands of stories of people remembering past lives 
knowing that there was someone else in the past, and remembering specific details of that last life. Like this story. For as long as she could remember, Jenny Cockwell knew that she had lived before as Mary Sutton. Mary Sutton, an Irish woman, had died over 20 years before Cockwell was born. Her continual dreaming-slash-memory left her worrying about the eight children that were left behind. Finally, after the birth of her own children, she knew it was time to search out her previous life. In her book, Across Time and Death, Cockwell tells the story of her reincarnation. Born in North London in 1953, Cockwell believes that she died in Malahide, Dublin in 1932, and her previous life was Mary Sutton. Her story began when she was a child in the 50s. She was haunted by memories and images of a town where she once lived. Cockwell drew the pictures constantly and used regression therapy to remember precise memories of her previous life. As a child, she was handed a world atlas and pointed straight to a map of Ireland. In fact, she even pinpointed the seaside town of Malahide in North County, Dublin. And if I'm saying that wrong, I apologize. I believe it's Malahide. Her most vivid memory was her death in 1932 at the age of 35. Apparently, she died in the Rotunda Hospital soon after giving birth to her eighth child. I remembered feeling so upset and guilty at leaving the children, says Cockwell. There was this sense of wanting to see what had happened to them and make sure they were all right. Cockwell's memories were further vindicated when she tracked down a death certificate for Mary Sutton. She then made contact with Sutton's surviving children, Sonny, Phyllis, Betty, Frank, and Mary. After convincing Sonny that she knew things about the family that only a relative could know, she compiled a profile for her former life. And in 1990, she met Sonny the man she believed she gave birth to in a previous life. He was amazed. After our first phone call, he turned to his wife and said, I think I've just been talking to my mother. Another tale of a life after death is when James Leniger was just two years old. He began having terrible nightmares of crashing in a plane. James said he was shot down by the Japanese when his plane took off from the Natoma ship. He also identified the site where he crashed, Iwo Jima, and that was from a photograph. He also remembers his best friend, Jack Larson. The book Soul Survivor, The Reincarnation of a World War II Fighter Pilot, written by Bruce Leniger and Andrea Leniger, chronicles the apparent reincarnation of their son James. Iwo Jima, an island that the United States fought to capture in 1945, was indeed involved in the Battle for Iwo Jima, which that just seems to make sense because it's called the Battle for Iwo Jima. One pilot died in the battle, James Houston Jr. In addition, a pilot named Jack Larson was also on the Natoma. Eight-year-old James Leniger of Louisiana began talking about aviation at just two years old. His parents reportedly knew nothing about the subject and were amazed when their little boy started displaying such an extensive knowledge of planes. Their amazement turned to alarm, though, when James started having nightmares about being shot down by a plane with the red sun on it, a Japanese plane. He talked about having dreams and memories of being Lieutenant James McCready Houston, a World War II fighter pilot from Pennsylvania who had been killed in Iwo Jima more than 50 years earlier. Andrea, again his mother, said that James would scream at the top of his voice, airplane crash, airplane crash, on fire, can't get out, help, as he kicked and pointed to the ceiling. Later, James told his parents that he had flown a plane called the Corsair from a boat called the Natoma. When James's father decided to start doing some research, he discovered that there had been a small escort carrier called the Natoma Bay, which had been in the Battle of Iwo Jima. 
and that there really had been a pilot called James Houston. His plane was hit in the engine by Japanese fire on March 3, 1945. According to Jim Tucker, a psychologist at the University of Virginia, Houston's plane crashed exactly the way that young James Leniger had described. Sadly, not all the stories I could find were that detailed and that amazing. Here's a quick, almost spooky tale I found. And when I say quick, it is a one-line comment that someone had posted on an NDE forum. And it is, My older sister was born the same year my dad's mom died. According to my dad, as soon as my sister was old enough to say words, she said, I am your mother. That's the whole tale. Like I said, short, but a little spooky. Okay, here's a little bit more in-depth tale, this one from Scotland. Cameron McCauley of Glasgow, Scotland, started telling his mother at the age of two that he wasn't from Glasgow at all, but rather from a small island called Barra off the west coast of Scotland in the outer, oh, you're killing me, in the outer Hebrides. Hebrides? Hebrides. I don't know. I am so sorry, Scotland. Cameron described... <laughs> Cameron described intimate details of his life there, including his black and white dog, the beach he used to walk on, his mother, the house they lived in, and his seven siblings. He even named his former parents, claiming that his father's name was Shane Robertson and that he had died in a car crash. Determined to get to the bottom of this, Cameron's parents took him to Barra. Although no one there remembered anyone by the name of Shane, the Macaulays found the house that Cameron had described, a house owned by the Robertsons. The black and white dog was in one of the family photos, and the car that Cameron remembered was there too. Okay, here's the final tale for tonight. A three-year-old boy in the Golan Heights region near the border of Syria and Israel said that he was murdered with an axe in his previous life. He showed village elders where the murderer buried his body, and sure enough, they found a man's skeleton there. Also, the place where the axe had hit the man's skull was the same place the boy had a birthmark. The boy also showed the elders where the murder weapon was, and upon digging, they indeed found an axe there too. The boy even named his murderer, and the man confessed to said murder. So I understand our need to figure out what happens when we die, and it does seem like DMT has something to do with it, but how does it explain the rest? I know some skeptics are listening right now and screaming, DMT explains all of it, it's just hallucinations. But for me to believe that, then please explain the psychic knowledge, the knowledge of past lives, and those specific details in all of these stories. I would love to know, because just like you, I am terrified of death and what happens after we die. Once again, I'm Kurt Sandig, and thank you so much for listening to Paranormal Almanac. Please go to our Facebook, it's Paranormal Almanac, or find us on Twitter, it's Para Almanac, because Twitter is dumb. I also have an Instagram, which I haven't really started using much, but it's Paranormal Almanac. Please follow me there as well. But the most important thing you can do to help me out is to tell your friends and family to listen to this podcast. Make sure they click subscribe on iTunes and leave me a good review. And once again, this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Paranormal Almanac.